Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. Shares for beginners. Weekend watch list. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners Weekend Watchlist, where we take a close look at an individual company that you may wish to consider for your watchlist. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how Stockopedia screens for value. Joining me today is Elio D'Amato and we're talking Linus Rare Earths Limited, ASX code LYC. G'day Elio, how's it going? Yeah, g'day Phil. Um, as always, I've gone into the bottom drawer to try to find ourselves an interesting stock to talk about and Notwithstanding the numbers, which don't necessarily look all that great, I think there is a little bit to get uh, long-suffering, well, at least for the last year, investors in Linus, um, a little bit interested as to what's to come ahead because I don't think the story's ended in any way. So let's start by talking about rare earths. What are they? Well, look, it's really interesting. I'm not going to bore you to snores with the science, uh, Phil, but depending on who or what you read, if we go to the Linus website, apparently it's 15 elements. In other websites, there's 17 elements. Either way, it's as the collective, it's known as rare earth elements, or REE is often the acronym that you'll see. But unlike the name would suggest, rare earths are actually not all that rare, as you've probably learned. In fact, the biggest challenge with rare earths as they do sit in the Earth's crust, is actually finding an amount which is economical in order to extract that out of the ground and um, do so cheaply and uh, not kill everyone around it, of course. So it's quite abundant. It's quite frankly everywhere. So we need it because, yes, it's used in batteries. In fact, I think it's about 20 to 23% is used in batteries. But there's many other uses for it, like, for example, wind turbines, wireless technology. There's countless other products that it's used for, even pigmentation. 
this idea that it's somehow wrapped up with what lithium is and and uh, battery metals is yes to a degree somewhat correct but it's not lithium and i think that really does excite me because of course if we're looking for opportunities in a space where the market's at all-time highs it does mean we have to look at some of the scarier businesses that are out there so if we're talking about a company that produces a metal that deals with geez everything from you know cataclysmic converters through to lasers special glass there's medical imaging really rare earths could be used in anything that's the moral of the story and that's why i'm talking about lyc today yeah and they're the raw materials for so much of high tech these days aren't they yeah, unless someone can convince me that we're going to use the internet less tomorrow than what we have been for the last 10 years, then I'll probably listen to you. But you're right. I mean, when we're talking high tech, semiconductors, all those sorts of things, rare earths are going to be around. So notwithstanding the recent price decline, which has obviously impacted Linus and its uh, fellow competitors, that's something to consider. But in light of that, there's still underlying demand for the product, and it's more than just one major use, which is the other thing that excites. And of course, Linus has been around for a little while, and um, they've, they're quite advanced in their processing as well as extraction of it as well, because the, the regulatory restrictions, especially in Malaysia, where this is done, can be quite stringent. That's something that investors need to understand, that Linus, have, they're not considered to be the new boy on the block. In fact, they're the world's largest producer and extractor of rare earths outside of China. And you mentioned that relationship with Malaysia. They've got a division there, Linus Malaysia, where they send all their rare earths there to be extracted, separated, which is quite a nasty business, I'm not going to lie. The end product does leave a really nasty after effect, as it were, to which, uh, you know, again, if we're going to use more of these products, we're going to need those regulatory requirements over the many years that I've analysed Linus, which is like over 20 years now. You know, Malaysia's always been a bugbear for good reason, some would argue, but then in others that it'd be just uh, something that inhibits the company's growth. Either way, recently there was an issue with regards to Malaysia that has now been sorted. There's That's been extended to 2026 plus a little additional investment in R&D as well to support the process there. So for all intents and purposes, yes, Malaysia is a core part of the business. It's taking the Mount Weld feed from it. But yes, they're under strict requirements that they have to meet and for good reason because like I said, the process of extracting the rare earths can be a very nasty business. So at 66, this is the lowest stock rank that we've covered. Why your interest, even though the numbers aren't um, stacking up as one would traditionally expect? (laughs) Yeah, look, you're right. It is 66. It's Look, to be frank, it's not unusual often for a mining company where it can be priced for future events rather than being priced for the current events. I mean, looking at the historic numbers, they're okay, The strongest of all of those of the quality, value, and momentum is definitely quality. That's where my eye goes. So currently at the moment, the company has a quality score of 82. Bankruptcy risk is low. Return on equity, return on capital are quite solid. This despite the fact that the company has had a uh, somewhat challenging period in recent times. And we got a real sense of that in the latest uh, production report. So every quarter, a mining company is due to release its corporate activities and its cash flow statements so that investors in the rats and mice, as it were, can understand really what's going on beneath the surface much quicker than waiting for an official half-year and full-year report. 
In the case of Linus, it, it didn't look good. I mean, on first read, it was quite bad. We saw things like the cash flow statement took quite a heavy hit. Continued investment in capital expenditure continues to bite. And that Malaysia issue that I talked about, which effectively shut down operations there for quite a while as that was in negotiations as to whether they could extend that license or not, that unfortunately really did hinder their production over the quarter as well. So if you're a half glass full type of guy like me, you go, okay, well, all that activity has been priced in. They've had that shut down. The cash burns occurred. I mean, that cash burn was quite significant. It effectively uh, wiped out you know, a little less than a quarter of their entire cash balance. So we that, that's not to be sneezed at. And it's probably why the share price has pulled back as far as it has. But if you hold a candle to the argument that this is as bad as it gets, given the price decline, given the production issues, then that should give some hope and further support that quality score. So even though I expect that score to probably get a little bit worse, as it were, when the actual official results come through, the balance sheet and the the entire cash flow statement, all those uh, particular items, then uh, if you can look past that, I think there's a bit of an opportunity here for those that have the risk appetite for it. And as you know, Phil, um, I generally tend to do. The interesting thing, or one of the interesting things that I found as well, is that the company today is actually a little worse than where it was, say, back at its peak. So back when it was uh, $10, it was double what it is now effectively. And the company actually had quite a, again, somewhat challenged, but it was a higher overall stock rank score. So it's taken a lot of that impact. We've seen the price come down. The numbers are telling me they don't look good, so I have to look to the narrative for something exciting. And I think there is a bit for Linus to uh, bring on board, but I am clutching onto that quality score for dear life. So as you referred to, China dominates the supply of rare earths. Now, they can adjust the supply depending on whatever their geopolitical uh, negotiations are happening at any particular time in the relationship with the United States or Japan or any of the other trade partners. Um, how are you seeing the, the effect on Linus overall? Yeah, this is an excellent point because you're right, Phil, China is the uh, major producer of rare earths globally. Now, wherever you read, be it um, one website or the other, the ranges can vary from 60 to, uh, I think I've even seen as high as 87%. So it's not for me to question where that uh, actual number sits, but it suffice to say it's really big. And if you look even down a little further, you know, you were talking about Malaysia and the separation activities and all that sort of thing. You look at um, China and it's almost a fully dominant position when it comes to separating heavy rare earths in particular, um, and it's around 90% of total rare earths, which also includes the lightweight ones as well. So you are right. Uh, they're definitely a major dominant player, which can control price. And many conspiracy theorists are saying they are having a hand at the moment with regards to the price decline. The US government, to its credit, had identified this as a major risk to their existing supply chain. Notwithstanding coronavirus was rather unpleasant, particularly for those of us here in Victoria, one of the things it did highlight were risks to the supply chain. And one of the obvious risks that came out was this rare earths issue where China does control so much of the supply. So much so that the United States government decided to take the proactive step of co-investing in a number of these projects in order to a system of which Linus has been one of the major beneficiaries, given that it is the largest producer of rare earths outside of uh, China. 
So the Department of Defence in the US has joined uh, partners with Linus in order to establish a few facilities, one in particular over there which is quite large at the government's supporting quite a bit in order to help break this stranglehold. But this is a multi-year project. For those of you that think this dominance is going to be over by the time the end of this podcast occurs, you're wrong. China still has a very major part to play in all this. And I think its most recent part that we, we can all look to to show you what sort of influence that the company does have is the fact that, you know, just before Christmas, in fact, I think it was about four days before Um, the company put a ban on the export of components that actually are used in the extracting of rare earths or battery production. So there's a whole range of restrictions that are in place. This was just another component that they did. So I just want to let everyone know they didn't just introduce this. But obviously this works in Linus' favour because, of course, you can dig a hole in the Pilbara and find the stuff, which is great because you need it. But until you actually get it out of the ground and start the extraction process, which is quite lengthy, costly, and also a little nasty, it um, is quite difficult to do. So Linus, given it's, I think it's worth around $3.6 billion at the moment, most likely less, I dare suggest. Given it's so large, given that price decline, I am interested, given the curbs that the Chinese are trying to do in order to keep things under control and, you know, basically effectively continue to be dominant, also interests me because Linus are going to come out the other side. In other words, if Linus fails, then we're in real trouble. Um, this goal of wanting to extract the uh, minerals ourselves is, is oh, has obviously failed. Therefore, in my mind, as you know, without overthinking an issue, you look at that underlying demand. We're going to need it moving forward. Linus are the largest producers of it. Their share price has fallen fifty percent. Hence, why we're talking about it today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are you picking shares on Gut Instinct? Buying on press tips or rumours? Do you struggle to find the time to keep up with the research and analysis that goes into evaluating potential stocks? Stockopedia are pleased to offer a special deal to listeners of this podcast, a 14-day free trial and a 10% discount on the first year of membership. Sign up now at y.stockopedia.com sfb. There's no better time to access the most comprehensive, easy-to-use investing toolbox for DIY share investors. 10% off, 14-day free trial, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's why.stockopedia.com slash SFB. And there were recent discussions about a merger with US rival MP Materials, but um, that's off the table now, I believe? Uh, yeah, look, it actually led to mini excitement, particularly for those of us that like to look at the colour of dust. I, I won't say it influenced uh, too many people, but it was a big deal. MP Materials is the other major player outside of Linus on a global scale. MP Materials operate out of California. They have a particular process which takes hard rock and ultimately creates rare earth elements. Again, without boring you to snores, it's not quite as clean, established and well-flowing as what Linus 
actually has. Therefore, it made sense that they were talking to each other, given the fact that you know rare earth prices have fallen so significantly as they have, and the you know merge or die, as they ultimately say. But really, when I look at Linus's established operations, what they've done, the length of time they've been doing it, and the nature of their operations, they've further extended Mount Weld. So Mount Weld, which is their main, uh, I suppose, mine, as it were, out of Western Australia, that continues to do quite well. They recently have decided to extend it. They're getting further EPA approvals in order to do that. And the new resource size will come out later this calendar year, but it is expected to be quite large, which is also quite pleasing. So again, you're you're right in that instance that that merger was occurring, but that now as of Monday, the 5th of February, that's actually been hit on the head because Linus came out and they said, look, we're not going to proceed with this merger. We had been having talks with them, but we I suspect they couldn't agree on value. I mean, to be frank, I still think being parochial possibly that Linus was bringing a lot more to the table than what MP materials were, and I think they struggled to find where fair value was, which is no skin off my nose, to be quite frank and honest. I mean, we've seen Linus be the attention of corporate action before. West Farmers was trying to buy them on the cheap back in the day, but they were unsuccessful in that regard. The price went up something like five to six times from that particular offer price, but obviously it's come back a lot since, but still not as low as what that offer was. So that would have been quite shrewd by West Farmers at the time. Don't think anything necessarily changes the narrative that would suggest that they should get involved with MP materials. So, yeah, I'm quite um, happy that they continue on their merry way. This extension in Malaysia to 2026 means the increased capacity from Mount Weld. Oh, and I haven't even talked about Kalgoorlie. How could I forget about that, Phil? Kalgoorlie is their processing plant where they're going to take metal, light uh, rare earths metals from the um, facility at Mount Well, so and part of the processing is going to be there and then shipped to Malaysia rather than being done. So the net effect of that is that it's going to further increase and boost production. So back to my original point, if you believe this idea that they've you know taken a hit as they had to, uh, that production is as bad as it's going to get, the prices are quite low, then the future looks a little bit more optimistic in my view in regards to Linus. So let's dig into the financials. What are they looking like? As mentioned, Phil, they look terrible. And when you're looking at these sorts of businesses, I do like to go back and really look at the latest cash flow and activity statement. Because when you're dealing with these miners, as I said, they do release them on a quarterly basis, which tends to be more frequent than your traditional half-year reporting period. It's one of the reasons why, in fact, I've actually discussed this on this podcast because, of course, we're in the reporting season, which is vitally important because we get to see the numbers laid bare for all of our stocks in our portfolios and then some. But when it comes to miners, they also give us this further guidance in between. So that's what I've done. I've decided to lean quite heavily, as it were, in regards to this for Linus. And uh, yeah, that's uh, basically it. So I don't think I'm going to surprise anyone when I tell them that our worst measure um, in regards to the business is momentum. (laughs) Uh, Quite frankly, uh, momentum comes through at 47. So it's been hitting southeast over the last year, a little bit longer if you extend it beyond that. And really, that's not good. I mean, it's 52-week high is something like $9.20, I think. All the relative measures are not great. So when you compare its price performance relative to the broader market, they're not wonderful. Further to that, you've also seen a series of analyst downgrades quite consistently 
both for EPS 2024 and 25. Again, unsurprising given the recent issues that they've been experiencing. But look, the positive is they are well covered by some 10 brokers. And, you know, for what it's worth, they still have a buy on the business, though I will be honest, that buy has weakened a little bit in recent times relative to what it has been in the past. One of the great oxymorons of investing is that, you know, when the price goes down, value goes up. Uh, In this instance, uh, value is still dragging the business down, though. It's important to uh, further note that. It's currently rated at 59. However, I notice over the last 30 days, it's actually improved by eight, probably got something to do with that price decline. But all your traditional price metrics like price to sales, price to earnings, dividend yields, all those have been coming under pressure, and that's really weighed on the price. And Therefore, the last thing we look at is quality. Um, As I said, that's what I'm hanging my hat on in regards to performance. Notwithstanding, and it's important for me to note, that cash did draw down quite a bit in the latest quarter, which I suspect will impact the quality score in the coming period. Currently, it's ranked at 82. I still expect bankruptcy risk to be low. The company has little to no debt. I still expect return on equity and return on capital to be somewhat reasonable without necessarily shooting the lights out, but I do expect it to weaken a little bit more. So the financials on Alliance are probably the main reason why you've seen the price do what it has. You can't lie that. I mean, that's the beauty of numbers. You're looking into the soul of a business and it's pretty clear why Alliance has been underperforming. But as an investment analyst, I'm always looking forward, as I do with these things, we're getting as close to as bad as it can get for the company in the near term. Assuming, of course, that the price of NRPD or whatever it is, the uh, particular rare earth that they uh, specialise with predominantly, whether the price of that stops uh, falling in the near term and whether these Malaysia issues are behind it. But of course, given that negotiations have to start again in a year and a bit's time, some might say it's like kicking the can down the road. I think whilst Malaysia remains as part of the picture, there's always going to be a little bit of risk when it comes to investing in liners. Well, let's have a chat about those risks. And you can kind of assume that China would have to be one of the biggest parts of any risk to do with Linus. Yeah. So, I mean, there's obvious risks like China, of course, and its role in the global rare earths community and what it does and how that flows through onto Linus. The fact that rare earths is bad stuff, you know, it's not like making scented tissues, as it were. There is some really nasty stuff that comes out of it, hence the protracted discussions with the Malaysians in that separation process and what that does and the further reinvestment that uh, has to occur now on Linus's behalf. You get risks like, you know, the obvious risk of the price of NDPR, which is that rare earth element I was talking about, where if the price of that continues to fall, then obviously Linus is a bit of a price taker in that regard, where it can only sell its commodity at the price the market's willing to pay. If that continues to fall, that's obviously going to be a uh, continued risk of the business. And then, of course, there's the financials, which, uh, you know, they don't look great. No matter how you paint it, they don't necessarily uh, look all that super. And I do somewhat think that Malaysia continues to remain a risk, notwithstanding the fact that the extension of the agreement was very pleasing. I think we even saw a bit of a bounce in Linus's price at that time, although it's given a bit of that back now. The fact that it is extended to 2026 is a positive. The company is definitely flagging it as a positive in all its reports. However, old stock dogs like me like say, well, okay, what's going to happen in two years' time? And I dare suggest a number of analysts are doing the same. 
Kalgoorlie, the facility there will help alleviate some of the stresses with regards to that, but still much of the nasty stuff is going to be sent to Malaysia. So this agreement is going to be key. However, if they get their facility up and running in the US, they, I believe they're spending about $60 billion US dollars on it. The uh, Department of Defense is uh, spending another half amount on that. At the moment, that's going to be used just for the purposes of the US military. Is that the catalyst that then ultimately sees them in the very long term move away from Malaysia? I'm not going to hypothesize on that. That'll probably be beyond the remit of the current executives. But of course, that's something that could obviously... Um, occur. Are we ever going to do it here in Australia? I think there's going to be have to be some very strong lobbying before uh, any of that occurs. But all that aside, at the moment, operationally, the company is um, still humming. It seemed to manage that Malaysia crisis quite well in retrospect and uh, looking at the numbers, they did quite well despite the impact that they had. So um, therefore, again, that argument that uh, possibly things have been as bad as they had been for Linus, you know, maybe there's a bluer skies ahead. And uh, throughout Linus's history, of course, is the vi- environmental activists in Malaysia have had a lot of uh, sway over the government and the policies to do with the mm. government and, and what they're going to do. And, I mean, it sounds quite justified, obviously, because of how nasty it is, but yeah. we do need these, um, these elements and minerals as well. Yeah, from the days of um, President Mahathir, I suppose, uh, we're, we're all that old, we can remember that person, but... The, uh, this has always been an issue, and rightly so. It, the processes had to evolve at the time where they were then to uh, where they are now and where they're going to be moving forward. It's uh, one of the risks of dealing in rare earths. It's why China's been so good at it. You know, I'll say that with a tongue firmly in cheek. And, uh, you know, if we're going to do this as a listed entity with full transparency, we um, have to ensure we're always at the top of our game. Because unlike a BHP that can have a Samarco disaster, it's simply just one operation of, you know, multiple hundreds, Linus aren't in that position. If they have a problem in Malaysia, then it's really going to bite them in the bum. And investors need to understand that this is a real and present risk that they have to be aware of. Yeah, and in China, they don't seem to be quite as squeamish about environmental no. concerns, do they? No. no. <laughs> I mean, you hear stories of toxic lakes that are produced in uh, the production of these materials. Any final thoughts in? No, no final thoughts, and other than to say that this is not the typical type of stock I put there, but I think we've all learned now that just having a high stock rank doesn't preclude you from possibly seeing a big price decline. It's not always about how you're going at the moment. Sometimes it's about looking forward and Linus in that view, I again tend to believe that things have been as bad as they've gotten to this point and rightly so the price has declined. But for those wanting to consider adding an element of risk into their portfolio with an eye to the future and underlying demand from our advancements uh, technologically globally as well as the whole EV car revolution, irrespective of where your position on that particular topic um, is. Um, Yeah, I think Linus LYC is definitely a stock to be having a look at right now. Elia D'Amato, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks very much, Phil. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 